everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is Esposa de la Pastora, Dan Jellybeans for all Marcel. Yeah. Worship director Scott, a vote for Dan is a vote for Jellybeans Reed. Yes. Jellybeans. And associate pastor Bill, leave me alone, Calvin. Right. Uh, who's up? Bill. Will you pray for us? Sure. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the joy of being with these men and being involved in this podcast. We pray your spirit fills us and that we say something that matters for eternity and blesses you as well as the audience. Amen. 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 All right, Scotty. All right. I found one of those cards that I haven't, I don't think I've seen any of these questions before. Whoa. So we're going to do this and... And true to form, over the last few sessions, we'll do one question per person. Dan, would you rather, this is a long one, so hopefully I can get this off in a way that makes sense. Would you rather spend a full day with a severe case of grass itch from lying on the grass in shorts? Mm. I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I knew that was a thing. Or spend it torturing yourself not to scratch 15 scabs that itch like crazy and are just starting to peel off. Well, you itch the calves and they turn into scars. So I'd rather take the day of grass itch. Hmm. Fair enough. They both sound very. They both sound unpleasant. So. Would you rather have, or would I rather have, a six-inch second toe Ooh. or a six-inch thumb? That's a lot of thumb. I think if I could choose which thumb it would be, then huh? I would go with the thumb. And which thumb would you choose? Left. Why? Because it might make certain chords easier on the guitar if my thumb were super long. Because <laughs> I could get more leverage. Sure. I have sure a foot long six inch thumb. toe. What are you going to do for shoes? You can't really just wear cut shoes. a little hole in all of your shoes. <laughs> it just sticks out. Sticks out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bill. Would you rather. Actually, I'm going to save that one for Max. You know what would be nice about having a six inch long thumb? You could measure the, foot, like the half a foot long sandwiches and make sure they're really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. true. Like, is it really a foot? Really it's nice that you, know, you have something that's thumbs? exactly six inches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never need a ruler again. True. Although you'd have to figure out like where does it start, you know? Mm, is it like no. is it like that line because you've got that flat? I think or... that's why the toe is easier. True, it's got a pretty definite <laughs> that's, start. That's why the toe. is That's easier, probably the main can, draw of the toe is measure for measuring things, things more, easily. Anyway. more accurately. Sorry, I derailed. Bill, <laughs> would you rather leap from a hot tub into a snowbank, hmm. or leap from a snowbank into a hot tub? Ooh. Oh, leap from a snowbank into the hot tub. Yeah. All right. You don't think that that would hurt scald a lot? <laughs> well, it's just something about my body adjusts quickly to hot water, but that cold, whoo, sure. that, that's, yeah, that, that's yeah. more brutal on I, me. I do feel like it'd be like a more pleasant pain to jump into the hot tub than to jump into the snowbank. Probably. All right, Max. Would you rather discover space aliens that are superior to ourselves or inferior? <laughs> I've always wanted to talk about aliens on this show because my... Question I've always had is if we discover sentient alien life, what does that mean for the Bible? But seeing as we haven't had that episode yet, so I don't have an answer, I think it's safer to go with inferior alien life, <laughs> which speaking of which, they just discovered water on the moon. I saw that. Which is crazy. They also, don't, they don't even know where it's coming from. When I thought of inferior alien life, what yeah. I did not think of was like bacteria on Mars or something like that. You thought of just like... I thought of like 
stupid aliens. Really derpy <laughs> aliens. Yeah. That kind of popped into my mind, too. They like. somehow manage to travel across the stars, and they get here, and they're just tripping over each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd prefer that, too, I think. It is Halloween, my friends. Happy Halloween, of course. Uh, to celebrate, we're all in costume. Mm. Dan, will you tell the listeners what you're dressed as right now? A 30-something pastor with a mask on. <laughs> we as a staff... I'm Chewbacca. Well, <laughs> naturally... <laughs> And Scott, what are you wearing? When Dan refused to play along, I was like, let's just... I didn't know. <laughs> moving briskly along. I, I didn't know. Let me we redo that one. No, we're not okay. redoing it. Everyone will know how much of a spoil sport you are. I just was joking. Scott, I, I thought it was good. Scott. The Ghost of Samuel. Mm. I'm looking for a passage in the Bible. Everyone's going to bring up Ghost of Samuel today. That's well, good. That's First why Samuel I'm, 28, I think? That's what I'm looking, is it 28? Oh, so. it That's is, what I've been looking for. It is... It is 28. Yes, that's right. Uh, we as a staff are reading a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Dan held our discussion last week, and he his last question was, if you had to explain what you were reading to a member of the congregation, what would you say? We're three chapters in, fourth chapter's tomorrow. So far, you know, what are the big takeaways so far from Don't Waste Your Life? The theme is the big takeaway for me. It's the most important way to live is to live all out for Jesus Christ. Hmm. And any other way is truly living below what God's put you on this earth to live. Hmm. I really liked, there's something he talked about, this couple who you know, takes an early retirement and goes to hmm. Florida and spends their time on a yacht and collecting shells, and they get to the end of this kind of hypothetical life, and they stand before God and they say, look at all the shells I collected. And his point was that would be a great tragedy and a wasted opportunity, wasted life. It's like to come before the Lord and say, look, what, these are my treasures of life and what I invested in was shells. Mm-hmm. That really just got me thinking, yeah, we're surrounded in our culture by the, you know, the American dream, retire early, get the scholarship, get all the good stuff, mm. you know, make sure that you don't have any worries and retire, have a great retirement fund, whatever you name it that our culture says is important. Mm. But what, what's more important than that, than that is living a life well-lived for Christ, like you, you were talking about, Bill. Mm. And that really counts for eternity way more than anything else ever will. I guess that just put it in wor- good words and a good perspective for me. Yeah. Scott? If you have a small takeaway, it's okay, too. That's true. Small takeaway. There's a grammatical error on paper. <laughs> um, I would say something that's definitely stuck out to me about um, the John Piper book so far is this question of, like, what is the primary goal in life? Is it, like, to be happy or is it to glorify God? And he was like, one of these seemed right, or something like that, and one of them seemed inevitable. Um, you know, the inevitable one being to try and be happy, and the right one being to glorify God. And he came to this conclusion that, like, when our lives are aligned properly um, and our priorities are, are straight, like, we'll find that glorifying God and having like a joy-filled life are actually one and the same, mm. um, and that making much of God will bring us will bring us great joy, essentially, mm. is the long and short of it. Mm. I, I want to ask what you guys think of an idea that uh, kind of came up this week for me. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, uh, what gives you the right to make a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything that you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Um, mm. And the thought that came out of that for me was, uh, if everything that we have is a gift from God, does it follow that everything we don't have is a gift from God? 
that in the same way that we say thank you for the things I have, we should say thank you for not giving me the things that I don't have that I want and think I need. Is that God blessing us by not giving us what we want? There is a famous, uh, what's Billy Graham's wife's name? Ruth Graham. Ruth Graham, I think, has a quote where she was like, if I had had my druthers, I would have married like three guys before I married Billy Graham. Yes. <laughs> Which is like a, a good example of just like the idea of is God, is is what we don't have a gift from God? I think to some extent, yeah, because we would, like you said about Ruth Graham, she had, she had her druthers. If we had our druthers, we'd probably have ruined our lives by now if I... Wanting what all, like if we had the power to grant all of our wishes instantaneously or have whatever we want to have happen happen now when we want it to happen, hmm. there probably would have been a lot of negative consequences that we, we couldn't have foreseen that God was maybe protecting us from. Sure. Some of it even is as simple as satisfaction. I remember I missed qualifying for the Boston Marathon by two seconds Ooh. a couple of years ago, and that was heartbreaking. It took a few days to get over that. And Lou Pavoni came up to me and he said, actually, this is a blessing for you. You're going to see that. And what happened was in the following year, while I was training, I realized this is a blessing because it's forced me to think in terms of what else can you do to improve? Mm. And I came up with four basic areas of improvement and knocked almost five minutes off my next mm -hmm. run. Wow. So I qualified for Boston, and now my problem is getting really motivated to get to that level again and hmm. surpass it. Is there a time limit on that qualification? Just curious. Is it like it's good for five years and then? I, I don't know, because this has been all messed up due to right. COVID. Oh, yeah. And in a case like me, getting older, especially after you hit 65, your muscle mass decreases hmm. pretty significantly. So your times start to go up, mm -hmm. and there's no way they can expect a guy mm. five years later to run what he did when he was 67, in my case, mm -hmm. to, sure. to do that at 72. That's, that's just completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's a really good thing for somebody 22, and now they're 27 in the true prime of their physical life. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we got off on all that. <laughs> good job, Scott and Max. You guys are in the physical prime that of was your a, life. That was we really a blessing, <laughs> just to not be able to get it when I wanted yeah, it. Sure. It turned out to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. Sure. How do we sort of rectify that with like the need in our world for people who are, who are suffering or who don't have enough? Like, How can we kind of rectify the idea that, that the things we don't have, we don't have on purpose, and that also, you know, we can sin and hurt other people, and, mm -hmm. and that um, there are people who are disadvantaged, there are people who have so much less than uh, most of the rest of the world by their very existence, right? They were born into it. Mm -hmm. So yesterday I read something that just really grabbed me. It's from Timothy Keller. He says, it takes more faith to have plenty and to be dependent upon God. It takes more faith and dependency upon God to have plenty than to not have enough. And I thought, what? I've never thought of this before. This is really profound. So I've only had a day to think about it, but there is a lot of truth to that. And it caused me to think of Abraham, who is the father of the faith. And he was a man who had plenty. Mm-hmm. But he also really fought to be a man of faith 
and dependent upon God, and it shows. No wonder he's the father of the faith. Hmm. It was his plentitude that was actually his school of learning to be that way. Hmm. So this is this is really a mind-numbing um, idea for me, and it's it's the exact opposite of everything we're ever taught sure. in terms of the American dream and yeah. keeping you know keeping your eye on the prize and thinking, whoa, it takes more faith to have plenty than to have not enough. Hmm. I was reflecting on that yesterday. I read this from Proverbs 30, uh, verses 7 to 9. There's two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep me from falsehood and lies far from me. This is the part I really like. It kind of connects with what you're saying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, and say, who is the Lord? Mm-hmm. Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Wow. Yeah. It makes me think of, I think this was on the podcast that we talked about this, but um, in regards healing, I, I would want to say it was you, Bill, who said this, but this idea that um, with advances in medicine, um, our, our gut reaction when we get sick or hurt is not to immediately pray, it's to go to the doctor. Yeah. And like, if you think about where and when we see the most miraculous healings, it's in times past when medicine wasn't advanced, or it's in other parts of the world where medicine isn't accessible. And like, yeah, I mean, there's good that has come about from medical advances. Um, and there probably have been numerous people who would have died of an illness, lived because of medicine, and then accepted Jesus after that fact. And like, that's amazing. But also, like, I think someone who is full of faith and dies at 27 because of AIDS in Africa, like, that's a better life than someone who's 98 because of modern medicine in America and hasn't received God as their Savior because they haven't needed Him Hmm. in this life. Absolutely. Um, Well, let's get into topic of the week. Number one, uh, topic of the week is brought to you this week by Monday Night Men. Monday Night Men are watching and discussing The Chosen, the first multi-season television series about the life of Christ as witnessed through the eyes of those he impacted. Pastors David Raymond Schneider and Dan Marcello lead the discussion in person with the option of joining via Zoom. Monday Night Men, Mondays from 7.30 to 8.45 p.m. in the Common Grounds and on Zoom. For more information, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash men-fall2020. Um, we've been big fans <laughs> of the chosen on on the show, and as a church, I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, and I, I want to. Either. I've Leo seen the first episode it. and some Leo snippets of other ones. Very sure. good, yeah. A very well, good. I've, production. I've gotten to see it all. The interesting thing is, I didn't care for episodes one and two at all, and just thought, okay, <clears throat> this isn't for me. But Vince DePaul just kept talking about it and talking about it, and then I got to see a snippet of episode four, and it was so moving. I was. Having tears run down my face, I thought I need to watch this one more mm-hmm. time. And and mm-hmm. then from episode three through eight, I was just mesmerized. I loved it. I'm looking forward to the mm-hmm. next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's very, been very moving for me as well. We've been doing it for men's group, like yeah. you were saying. And we last night we watched about the miraculous haul of fish. Yeah, that's so my that was favorite a, part. And so there's stuff that's not in the Bible. I won't spoil it too much, but essentially Peter gets himself into a tax problem and uh, and Jesus kind of bails him out with the fish. <laughs> but there's much more to it than that but it's about a 20 minute segment sure in uh, i think episode three four four so yeah. we'll do a, an episode more in depth on the, on the chosen 
later on, but when it comes to turning um, these chapters of the Bible into a TV show, what is your perspective on the things that have been added? Well, I've seen more limited quantity than, than Bill has, but sure. from what I've seen, it's like, it, it's plausible. Like It could have been possible, like in the case of the miraculous catch of fish that Peter did get himself into some right. a pickle, and he was very upset with God, frustrated with God. You could see, like, and that really moved him when the call came in to say, like, oh, man, Lord, I repent. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I've done. Like, mm-hmm. spent the whole night before, like, cursing God out. It's like, yeah, that's it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, it's not super outlandish. Sure. Mm-hmm. What, what I took from that scene that really moved me was the excitement of those fish jumping into the net. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't just Peter's excitement. It was Andrew's. It was James and John and their father Zebedee and and you're just seeing this incredible haul of fish, and the fish are just kind of jumping around in the net, and the excitement of these fishermen, how how this is the greatest catch mm-hmm. they have ever seen mm-hmm. in their lives. This is an impossible mm-hmm. haul. This couldn't happen, but it's happening right before their eyes, and they can't even pull it in. They're straining with all mm-hmm. their might, and so so some of them are pushing the fish in the net, and others are pulling, and just the tremendous joy that's mm. in their lives at at this catch. You thought, you know, I've read this passage at least a hundred times. I've memorized this passage. It just never occurred to me how exciting this is, mm-hmm. especially to fishermen. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think I would have been excited too, but if you've been working at fishing your whole life and this is happening, you just are coming out of your skin. Mm-hmm. And then for... The conclusion to be, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Whoo! That was very it powerful. Was moving. That was powerful that Peter gets down on his knees and says, what do you want from me? And mm-hmm. Jesus gets down with him and says, follow me. That's mm-hmm. what I want. I want your life. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting choked up this thing. I was yeah, me too. Man. Yeah, if you get a chance, yeah. watch it. Leo watched it for free, right? Yeah, you can watch it for free on your phone. Okay. And YouTube, they have an app. It's on, it's, it's on YouTube, but with ads. Oh, you know what? It is free. Even yeah. on the, yeah. I don't know if it was Amazon, Netflix, what we saw the first time. It, they ask for a donation, but it's, yeah, who makes donations to mm-hmm. everybody that asks? Sure. You know, it's just, it just isn't going to happen. Okay. Um, I guess, actually, that's a good uh, transition. Before we get into topic of the week, Dan, <laughs> we, uh, before the show, said this is the first weekend that we have three services, right? Yeah. Yes. Scott, anything we should know about the way the services are working? Um, the only thing that I would say uh, is more regarding the online service, um, which is that starting this weekend, we'll be transitioning how we do the online service. We'll still have an online service, but we'll be using the Saturday night service and just recording it. That means that the online service won't be available Saturday as it has been mm. for the last you know few months. It'll be It'll go up on Sunday. Okay. Um, so if that's been your rhythm and routine of watching it on Saturday, I apologize. If that's the reason you're watching at home, you could always just like go like a week behind and watch it on set like the, the next Saturday. I don't know. But mm. either way, the the weekend service will go up on Sunday morning at some point. Okay. And we just ask that you please wear a mask that covers your nose and mouth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, make sure you're distanced from people. But but we do want you to come. We want you to to feel welcome and we're excited to see you, but if you're a little more hesitant, and that's okay, like Scott said, we still have the online service for you, depending on where your comfort level is, but we do hope to see you. Sure. 
For Topic of the Week this week, uh, Saturday is Halloween, um, a traditional holiday that I didn't realize dates way back. Trick-or-treating on October 31st, for example, is documented in Scotland as far back as the 1500s. Wow. Uh, overnight vigils on, on the 31st and November 1st in Christian cemeteries can be traced all the way back to the 700s. Hmm. Halloween is hmm. uh, a holiday that is packed with influences from all kinds of religions and, and cultures um, and is celebrated in a lot of different ways all over the world. Um, and Americans actually aren't documented celebrating Halloween on a national level until the late 1800s. But now we tend to kind of dominate the worldwide depiction of, of Halloween. And uh, one particularly iconic part of Halloween uh, is this idea of ghosts. Ghosts, uh, in the general American sense, I would say are like the spirits of dead people or animals that continue to exist on Earth. Um, and of course, as Christians, we believe in spirits or, or souls, um, and so I think we have a very interesting relationship to the secular depiction of ghosts um, that's very mainstream uh, and very common. I mean, people, there's ghosts all over people's houses right now. Um, but I want to try and dive into the gray area of sort of American culture and, and the real world by starting off with a very blunt question that probably doesn't have a great answer. But are ghosts real, Bill? If we're, I, I define a ghost as demons. Mm. I, I who are in you. your house. Mm. And yes, those are real. Mm. I, people in our church, years ago, we went to someone's home. I, I'm thinking of a little bit yeah. different one. I remember I Dan think, and I going yeah, to somebody's to home, but yeah. I remember going with all the elders and some staff <clears throat> because this person was living with, the lights would just come on in the middle of the night, the TV would come on, and they mm. were scared. So they would leave their lights on and you might call it poltergeist what's sure. going on. Okay. So we went in there and prayed through the house and bound up those demons and cast them out. Mm. And then, then didn't, that, that stopped happening. Mm. So, yeah, they are real. It's not the kind of thing you just lead off with. Hey, come mm. to our church. We do this. <laughs> we have Sunday school at 930 and we have ghost, casting out of ghosts. Ghost training. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters training. But, but it, yeah, it, it, it's very real. Sure. I agree with Bill about ghosts as we know that being demonic forces and presences. And, you know, based on this on Luke chapter 16, uh, this idea of ghosts not being real in the sense of what American culture depicts them to be, because I feel like our culture and others, I know, having lived in Mexico for years, seeing Day of the Dead right. and, and what all that means, which could take a whole episode mm -hmm. unpacking that, but I think we've constructed ghosts in such a way where we don't want to really come to terms with the fact that loved ones have passed away, mm. and we don't want... Mm. It's hard to let go, mm. and it's easy to think, okay, well, it's easier to believe that there's kind of like this open door between where they are in this world and they right. can kind of come and go because they're still around and we don't maybe have to feel that loss so yeah. so deeply and maybe grieve it so much. Yeah. And I'm thinking here is Luke chapter 16 and it's the uh, the story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. Mm. And you know in life Lazarus is this really poor guy, not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead, a different mm. Lazarus. I guess maybe it was a common name. It was like Scott <laughs> in the ancient world, who knows. Maybe he was thinking of his friend. He was like then there was a poor guy named Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> and the rich, they, they die, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and the rich man goes to, my Bible says Hades. I've seen another version say torment. Hmm. Um, but basically, the guy is suffering, uh, the rich man, and he says to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in this fire. Hmm. Abraham says, 
you know, you've received your good things in life, or Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted. And he says, this is the kicker here. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Hmm. Bill, your definition of ghosts as demons, right, then sort of cuts out the idea of them being people, humans who have died, right? Can dead humans communicate with living humans? Well, First Samuel 28, there's this passage that relates to this, and, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was reading it, and Leah was like, what is that about? And so we did some decent amount of research into it. So basically, in 1 Samuel 28, uh, it's near the end of King Saul's reign and life, um, and he's kind of freaking out about this uh, impending uh, battle or conflict with the Philistines, and um, he's, he says he became frantic with fear. Oh, this is still the NLT. Well, that doesn't matter. Uh, he became frantic with fear. <laughs> he asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. So then he goes to try and find a medium, which is very interesting because mm-hmm. Saul outlawed all mediums and psychics, which is good because that's what God said to do. Right. Um, so he goes to a medium and he says, will you call up, uh, I have to talk to a man who's died. Will you call up a spirit for me? And the woman says, you know it's illegal. Like, why are you trying to trap me by getting me to do this illegal thing? Saul says, nothing bad is going to happen to you, I swear. She says, fine. Whose spirit do you want me to call up? And he says, call up Samuel. Uh, when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you've deceived me, you're a Saul. Don't be afraid, the, old, the king told her, what do you see? I see a god coming up out of the earth. She said, what does he look like? Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe. She replied, Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul. And then Samuel says, why have you asked me? Since the Lord has left you, and has become your enemy. The Lord has done just as he said you would. He's torn the kingdom from you. Um, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you, your sons, will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Mm. And then that is what happens. And so that's a very interesting passage, and it's a really weird passage. Yeah. And I did a lot of reading on it because it's so weird. There's a couple different perspectives on this. One that I actually heard like accidentally. It was not, I wasn't researching it. It just happened in a different thing I was listening to. Um, basically took the same stance that Bill said, this idea like, don't try and contact the dead. Mm-hmm. And what he said was basically like, the dead can't contact you back. So you're just tapping into like demonic forces when you try and do mm-hmm. that, um, mm-hmm. which I think is probably true almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in this instance, there's some level of debate uh, as to was this really Samuel? Was this a demon? It's hard to know for sure. The Bible says it was Samuel. It says Samuel said these things to him. Um, so it seems like, and he prophesies accurately, right? And Satan can't do that. Um, so it seems like this is Samuel, and that's very interesting. What's also interesting is that it appears that the medium is shocked when he actually shows up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah. um, makes it seem like most of the time, what she's doing is either a a sham or b like maybe demons and like she knows it. Right, um, right. Hard to say. But like, so all that to say, God really, really clearly says in his law in, in, the, in the Torah, do not consult with mediums and sorcerers and necromancers. Do not do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read one thing that said something to the effect of like, that proves that it, it can't be done, which doesn't make any logical sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless of whether it can or cannot be done, you should not do it. It is absolutely a sin. 
And what we see here seems to indicate that most of the time it's not really what's happening right. when you consult mm -hmm. a medium or a psychic or whatever. Like it's not really you talking to the spirit of a dead person mm -hmm. um, almost all the time, whether it's a sham or whether it's demons. Who knows? Probably case by case basis. But it here, is pretty funny that she's shocked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here it does seem like for reasons kind of unknown mm -hmm. that it, there is at least a strong possibility that Samuel really did come back mm. and speak to Saul. Mm. And I had no problem believing that the Lord made that happen. Yeah. It was, it was through the Lord sure. doing that. And I, just by the medium's reaction, like you're saying, it's kind of humorous. The Bible is full of funny little moments like that. Yeah. Where she didn't expect it. And, and I'm sure Saul didn't like the answer that he was given either. Right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. it was pretty... Which is kind of another ominous. indication that like it's something more legitimate because mm -hmm. usually that kind of stuff ends up in something that sounds really good. You know, it right. sounds like what you want to hear right. one way or the other. Yeah. It, and it's the only passage in the whole Bible we've got mm -hmm. that's this explicit. Yeah. So we can't even compare it to other passages and say, see, which is one more reason to say, okay, you don't want to base your theology on one passage. Mm-hmm. We do have a few things, like Dan in Luke 16, what he read, and the question is, was that a parable or was that a, mm -hmm. a, an actual instance? And then I think of the time in the Old Testament where they had buried a prophet, and many years later, they buried another man, and his body touched the bones of the prophet, oh, and he sprang yeah. to life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, man, this is a... This is a real odd passage to try to understand. Sure. Yeah. Is that the man of God that went around preaching and got deceived and then got mauled by the lion? Yeah, his yes. Bones, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Does he have a name? No. No. Man of God. He's an unnamed man of God mm -hmm. whose bones. Yeah. I think this kind of gets into, at least it's hard to have this conversation without a little bit of like what happens after we die. And I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Um, Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of what Jesus said on the cross to the, the exactly said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't yeah. like, well, you got to wait you know, 25 years. Yeah, it was like no, yeah. today. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. happen today. Yes. Exactly. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book, One Minute After You Die. So it's addressing these questions. Yeah, and he appeals to Paul saying to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so that we are immediately present with the Lord upon death. Mm -hmm. Then there is the matter of the bodily resurrection, but I don't think there's anybody who's with the Lord in heaven just saying, whew, can't wait for that resurrection. I need a body. <laughs> I, I think God's got that all figured out. We just like to try to tie a bow around every little aspect of it, and it's pretty futile. Sure. I know when I had people close to me die in the past, other people would say every time something went well, they would attribute it to that person. Right. I felt it was like misplaced praise. We want to be praising God for the the one the giver of good things, not sure a dead family member. Where where is that ever in Scripture where a dead person has influenced God to mm. to do something except for Jesus <laughs> interceding on on our behalf before the Father? Right. But of course, He's alive. Right. Mm. In your eyes, as a father, Dan, oh. is there any harm participating in in Halloween? Like, I think that's something that historically Christians have kind of mm -hmm. had had some internal struggle with. Um, you know, what's your perspective when it comes to your, you know, talking to your daughter about oh, yeah. the world? I think we're very honest about the origins of Halloween and why we're not going to dress up in, in scary costumes, try to make it fun and say, yeah, and I respect there are families out there that say, you know what, we don't want anything to do with Halloween for our family. We just don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And that's totally cool. I, I, I respect 
that's a parent's right and decision to make. Mm. And who am I to say that's wrong? And mm. uh, for our family, we just go trick or treating, put on a, a fun costume that's not a ghost or something, you know, violent or scary, obviously. And, and but also try to also teach like, hey, this has got its origins in this. Mm-hmm. Ghosts are not real, you know, just these questions that kids have that naturally come up. Mm. And try to openly and honestly talk about it. Mm. Halloween got hijacked, really. Mm. Hijacked by capitalists with sweet tooth. And I'm one of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> you should have run on that platform, Bill. Capitalists with a sweet tooth. That's join why Scott he wants us to win. You should join. So uh, like, now I grew up in a different era than, than you guys. But in the era I grew up in, there was no fear of stranger danger sure you you were in your own neighborhood yeah you went house to house saying Mm trick-or-treat and the neat thing was i would actually go in my grandmother's neighborhood which was a a poor neighborhood and the poor really were into halloween they would invite you into their home i mean now i'd be like no you can't go in that home go in the house and they're throwing a party and then they've Mm. got these little bags with treats in them and they they would give you not simply a candy bar but maybe um something they've made popcorn balls those Mm -hmm. were real pop oh yeah and people love them so you you and then as a kid it's like i don't want to spend too much time here because i got a lot of candy i got to go get so you you'd spend a minute or two in there um and they would entertain you for those couple of minutes and and they would be dressed up and playing musical instruments i mean they just this neighborhood just went all out. And I'm mm. not saying that every house was like that, but that would happen from time to time as you worked your way through the neighborhood. And then they were very generous with the candy and we would go out with pillowcases. And then my cousin, who was five years older than me, would say, okay, now let's trade costumes. So <laughs> we'd trade costumes right there in the street and go back to the same houses. Yeah. <laughs> my dad used to do that. You know, half hour earlier. And they didn't care. They knew who we were. So it was just the most fun night of the year. We just we just loved it. Hmm. I remember going trick-or-treating in the late 80s, early 90s, and getting coins. Mm. in like 25 cents, 10 cents. And I was oh, like, wow. There was this one older lady up the block, and she would always give money. To all the kids that came by, which is wow. to me like ten cents, fifteen. I was like buy like ten candies. The store, yes. I was like pumped about that. Yeah, in my era, this is hard to fathom. You would get a pretty big candy bar for a nickel at the drugstore, and by big, I mean way bigger than what you see today. Until you get into like those family size. Mm-hmm. So and we're not talking about you know fun size. No, no, we're talking about a Snickers mm-hmm. bar that probably weighs like three ounces, just just really gigantic. And you get that for a nickel? So for that lady to give out a dime or a quarter, yeah. she's basically saying, here, go buy two to five candy bars. Yeah. Well, mm. not in the 1980s, but that's what it would be saying mm-hmm. in my era. Yeah. They yeah. also gave out oranges and apples, which we hated. Oh. You know, like, <laughs> but, but see, they were from the Depression era, the people that were doing sure. that. Yeah. So it was like to have a piece of fruit during the Depression was a Christmas present for mm. my mother. Mm. She would get an orange at Christmas, and that was a big, big treat. It's just such a different world. Mm-hmm. If you gave a kid an orange today, he'd probably throw it at you. <laughs> Let's uh, move into our second topic of the week, uh, which is brought to you by the BC Learning Center once again. The mission of the Bloomingdale Church Learning Center 
uh, is to provide a place for guided learning in a Christian atmosphere. We want to serve our community by providing a learning space for students grades 1 through 8 currently participating in online school. The Learning Center is equipped with dedicated adult supervision, proper Wi-Fi and internet, and enough space to appropriately social distance. The BC Learning Center, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash learningcenter to learn more. This uh, Tuesday um, is election day in our country, um, and elections often bring with them uh, division uh, and negativity, um, and this year is definitely no different. Um, And we as Christians, in addition to being citizens of the United States, also know that we are eternally citizens uh, of the kingdom of God, that the United States is a construct of man, uh, and that one day there will be no nations but God's nation. Philippians 1, 27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The NLT version says, um, as citizens of heaven. Mm. And so that line, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, what does it mean to be united in love for a divided world? Well, in part, it means you overlook everything else because you're seeing people as being created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So they're all precious in his sight, no matter what their color, what their socioeconomic status is. How does that apply to the election? It's a case of, you know, God is bigger than all the presidents put together, all the Congresses. Uh, there's this one beautiful poem called One Solitary Life, and it, it's speaking of Jesus Christ, and he had greater impact than all the armies that ever marched, all the kings who ever reigned, mm-hmm. all the congresses that ever sat. And you think, yeah, he did. All the great ships that ever sailed. and they, So all of these things are piled up in this one poem no one has had the impact of this one solitary life. It makes you proud to be a Christian. It's like, yes, mm. that's who I put all my chips on, is mm. this mm-hmm. one person, Jesus Christ. So whoever wins the election on Tuesday, in the eternal scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It just does not matter. Mm. Dan, what did you look up? I was thinking of one chapter over from where you read Philippians chapter 2. Paul talking about if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And you're thinking, how is that going to be possible? Mm -hmm. So many different opinions and even in the church, people on different sides of the political spectrum. And I don't think it's a call here to be politically the same or politically of one mind. And I don't think we'll ever find someone that has the same exact views as you mm-hmm. in the world. I'm sure there's someone, there's no one out there that has the exact same opinions as me on everything. Mm. So it's impossible to be in agreement on every single thing in life. Yeah. But to be to be like-minded in the sense that we're all moving forward, seeking the Lord, mm-hmm. seeking to know Him more, yielding and surrendering our lives to Him, yeah. being made new in His image, being sanctified being made more like him every day, mm. that is like the call in our lives to push forward and move forward in that, that same way, showing people that same love, that being vessels of that love. And then the verse goes on and says, you know, not looking at someone else is better than yourself, but, mm. you know, putting other people's needs above your own. Mm. That's, I feel like, where we find true unity and in, in, in purpose. Yeah. Like really going out of the way to serve each other. Sure. Because we can get really 
really distracted and bent out of shape by the differences. Absolutely. Yeah, the the sort mm-hmm. of context of the purpose of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the way that we choose to believe we're supposed to live things out can differ. Um, but being united for that that purpose of um of glorifying God and and spreading the gospel mm-hmm. um for sure. Scott. Well, I was thinking about a very famous passage um where uh the leaders uh, of the of the Israelites that the Pharisees come um, and it says and this is still the NLT it says to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested and they ask this question this is gonna be very familiar to you we know how honest you are Jesus you are impartial and don't play favorites you teach the way of God truthfully now tell us is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not should we pay them or shouldn't we and Jesus first response in this translation is why are you trying to trap me right why are you trying this is a trap this isn't what really matters, and you know it, and I know it. And then show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. They hand it to him. He says, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, and then the very famous passage uh, or verse. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. And the implication there is that what belongs to Caesar, it's this coin. It's this money. Insignificant. It doesn't matter. Give to Caesar this coin. Who cares? Give to God what it belongs to God. What belongs to God? Our faithfulness, our love, our loyalty. That belongs to God. The politics, who cares? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's just money. Mm. But the things that matter belong to God, and you give those to him. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we just, something that I've really been convicted of recently as I've been mulling things over and, and listening to some different people talk on issues is that there is no Christian way to vote, mm. by which I mean, mm. Not one vote is going to be like, well, I did it as a good Christian. I did what I'm supposed to do, and I voted for this person or mm-hmm. this party. And I think we oftentimes fall in a trap of thinking that there is because there are some really serious issues on both sides that represent what is biblical. Mm-hmm. And there are some really serious issues on both sides that represent what is not. Mm-hmm. And we see Christians on, on all sides of the issue and you can, what really it comes down to is not black and white. It's a, it's a gray area. And all of us have to make decisions about which issues we prioritize. And all of us have to do that in light of our conscience and what we read in the Bible and what we've learned by following Jesus in our lives. Mm. And at the end of the day, you do that, you vote your conscience, you try and glorify Jesus with your vote, and other believers might do it differently. Mm. And that is fine. How can we glorify God through our participation in our country's government? How can we glorify God by our participation in civic life, which Paul really you know, tells the, the Corinthians to do? Well, I see a couple ways in, in just the participation element. One way, and this really, really gets to me um, because I've definitely fallen guilty of this, is neglecting uh, to acknowledge in our in ourselves what a privilege it is to have a say in our government i mean we've all mm-hmm. you know, even bill the oldest of us here we've all lived in this style of governing our entire lives and so we in a practical experiential sense we don't know anything different really um but you know as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago i've been reading um, george bush's memoirs and and hearing about some of the states of other countries and and governments around the world like that's not the case and and so there's really something to be said of like recognizing what a privilege it is Mm. and honoring the sacrifice of the people that have 
fought to to allow you to have that privilege. And then there's the other part of it, which is that we do have an obligation to try and and help people and to try and to to reach the oppressed, to care for the widow and the orphan. Honestly, government policies not the most effective way to do that, mm. but they are one way to try. And so you vote to try and to try and serve people, and then you remember that that's not the end of it, and you go and do other things too um, mm. to try and serve those people. But that's that's a way that you can, because the government has a lot of influence, a lot of power, and a lot of resources to to potentially help those help those issues and help those people. And so by voting, you can in one way, and probably not the most important way meet that that mandate of God to care for the marginalized. If you ever get a chance to go to Ellis Island, go. My, grandma, so, my great-grandma came through Ellis Island. It, it is yeah. so moving. It makes you so proud to be an American. Mm. And the reason why I say that is Ellis Island was where everybody seemed to come through that came into the United States up until, I'm not sure when it was, finally died out, maybe 1920s or 30s. But you can just see really the love of God saying, okay, give me your weak, give me your weary, give me your oppressed, mm -hmm. give me the people that nobody else wants. And, and so those people come to Ellis Island and they have to pass a physical. And the physical is they have to walk up these steps and they're doctors at the base of the steps watching them go up and about 98 percent of them or more can walk up the steps just fine the ones that are struggling they'll pull off to the side and they'll say okay we notice you're, you're having a hard time taking these steps so we want to help you and they had a hospital right there at ellis island so you go to the hospital in order to get medical treatment so that you can walk up the steps someday hmm. So they really only turned down a fraction of 1% of the people who came in. And they did some medical work for the ones that needed it. And the other way that you see the love of Christ in all of this, they will question the people and say, all right, you're coming to the United States. What do you do for a living? And the person says, well, I'm a tailor. Said, all right. So then they tell them what street that all the tailor work is being done on hmm. in New York City. And then the person might say, I'm Italian. Say, okay, we've got an Italian village. You're going to want to go there. Usually there's a relative there waiting for them. But if there isn't, the guy can just walk down this the equivalent of Chicago Taylor hmm. Street. And the Italian family is going to say, come over here. Have dinner with us. You're going to live with us for a couple of weeks. We're going down to the to the dock. I'm a dock worker. You're going to come with me because we're hiring guys. It, it was just a real community effort to assimilate the new person into his new life in the United States. It, mm. It's just so moving to, mm. to have the docent explain what was going on and how they went about it. Wow. It's almost so, like the book of Acts. Yes, yeah. it really was. Only mm. this is this was our government in action. So I never want to be one of those people that just disses the government and only has bad things to say about it. The government has done absolutely wonderful things for people that really nobody else could pull off. There's no church that could say, yeah, we, we did that. Well, you might have done it to a, to a small degree, but this was way too big for a church to tackle. This, mm. this was 
the church working with the government. This mm. was really God working with the government because he moved in people's hearts to say, mm. I want to help this person who truly is helpless right now. They don't speak the language. They don't know how to get a job yet. We're, we're going to just jump in and help them. Mm. It, it was, it's impressive. So go to Ellis Island if you ever get the chance. Mm. Take the tour. Um, final encouragement for people on both sides of the aisle who are part of a congregation that has people in different political parties and, and perspectives? I'd encourage all of us to pray, to mm-hmm. pray and ask God that, that he, the person that he would have win would win, that his will would be done, that we would take a step of faith to trust him and to say whatever happens next Wednesday morning when we wake up, whether the candidate you personally voted for won or not, God is still God. He's still in control. He's still sovereign. He's still yeah, he's still sovereign. Yeah, had that won't have changed depending on the outcome. Mm-hmm. And vote. And vote. Yeah. I mean, how awful to not exercise the right to vote. Yes. Basically, Nancy and I just cancel each other's votes out in most years. And <laughs> I think Bruce Mainfeld and Shirley do the same thing. <laughs> That's so, what my I, grandpa used to say to my grandma. We got to vote the same, otherwise we'll cancel each other out. I'm we, pretty sure my grandma voted the opposite. We're, we're, good, we're good with even canceling each other out. <laughs> my grandparents did the same thing, but on purpose. <laughs> We're like, all right, cool. Let's just remove ourselves from the equation here. I really resonate with what Scott said. A lot of people died protecting our freedoms and honor their memory hmm. and their sacrifice. Go vote. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a right and a freedom we've been given. Hmm. I guess my... Kind of final word of encouragement is from John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think in a week or a week and a day, we as the church will have an opportunity to display the love of Christ in a way that, I mean, if we look at the results of last the last election, not the results of the election, but the fallout afterwards, I wouldn't be surprised if we see similar things now with all the stuff that's going on in the world, regardless of who wins. Like, mm-hmm. And if the church rises up in love and says this you voted differently i don't care i still love you Mm -hmm. i still trust god like if we do that like what a powerful witness we can have in the world amen one last encouragement just popped in my mind yeah if you're feeling frustrated next whenever we find out the results hopefully when next wednesday morning if you feel real frustrated take a pause and don't feel like you need to go to social media right away to express your frustration Mm. pause take a day pray think about it before you post yeah I think Scott's right that, you know, the the goal doesn't change. Uh, the environment that we're living in may change and um, the place that people's hearts at may change, but our goal doesn't change no matter no matter what. Even if our minds change, our goals don't change. <laughs> Even if we switch parties, our goals don't change. And that's the beauty, that's the gift of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, is that these little human things can slide around wherever they want, but you have your eyes on Jesus wherever you're walking. Well, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, trivia quizzes, for goodness sake, please don't send your votes to podcast <laughs> at bloomingdalechurch.org. Uh, for our penultimate segment this week, it's time for bets. Last week, we asked which team would win the World Series and how many games it would take. Of course, the two teams competing are the Los Angeles Trolley Dodgers, formerly the Brooklyn Bridegrooms, and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, Dan said the Rays in seven. Scott said the Dodgers in five. Bill said the Rays in six. And at the time, I completely forgot that we were recording a day early. So mm. tonight is game six. 
Uh, the Dodgers lead the series three to two, meaning that if the Rays win, it'll be in seven games. Yeah. So Bill's out because yeah. Dan would win in that circumstance. So going into game six, we're going to double down here. Dan and Scott, in the two remaining games combined, mm-hmm. how many total home runs will be hit? Dan Marcello. Four. Scott. I also said four. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I've planned for this. <laughs> I mean, we are, I want to know. We are the presidential conglomerate. So. I want to know from the, each of you which team will hit the most home runs, or if they'll tie. Dan, Rays. Oh, I said Dodgers. There it there is. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Rays, so I was like, maybe I should. <laughs> we got to cancel Rays. each other out. Is what we're doing. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Sean M wrote in with his pick for. Uh, he went Rays in seven as well. Hmm, so we got John. we got two on that side, gentlemen. The polls are closed in a tradition unlike any others. Our listeners have listened and labored over the decision of who to elect their Bloomingdale Church podcast president. It has been a historic election in every sense of the word. Uh, We've had a candidate passionately opposed to his own election. Uh, We've had threats of violence, and we've had a vice presidential nominee who has been famously dead since 1799. All of that being just Bill's campaign alone. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our candidates and congratulate each of them on a race well run, even those of you who tried to run the other direction. And uh, You're welcome. now, Now... With 90% of precincts reporting, the Bloomingdale Church podcast can confirm that Dan Marcello has been elected the Bloomingdale Church podcast president. And Scott. We go now uh, to the common grounds where the (laughs) president-elect is about to give his acceptance speech. Thank you for your trust in Scott and myself. We will work tirelessly (laughs) to serve you and your families. Thank you and good night. And wow. jelly beans. And jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I still get those jelly beans, right? You're the jelly bean party. Well, he yes. hasn't been inaugurated yet. We st- oh. <laughs> still have. Can a I couple. come to the party? <laughs> well, because of COVID, we may not have. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank Max. you, Meg. Thank you, man. Mr. President Elect, take you. us home. <laughs> I almost prayed. (laughs) 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 You've been listening. President did that. (laughs) (laughs) Just just, just started praying. Whoa! How great would that be? You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church podcast, brought to you from Washington (laughs) D.C., the heart of the nation. What I forgot to tell you about last week. Yeah. I did 68 push-ups. Wow. I've been trying to do, I wanted to get to that because I'm 68 years old. I want to be able to do 68 push-ups. Wow. The first time in my life I've ever done 68. Congratulations. Really really happy about it. But boy, it really has messed me up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't have to do more push-ups for another year. I haven't really been the same. Well, no, I like I was doing nickels and dimes yesterday. What is nickels and dimes? You do five pull-ups, ten push-ups, ten sets of those in a row. That's awful. I feel very You weren't kidding, baby. You feel (laughs) it in your core. So how does this intersect with the idea of sainthood, which the the Christian Missionary Alliance does not subscribe to? 
Um, that last time we checked. <laughs> <laughs> it lost in a five to four boat. <laughs> what <laughs> aspect of sainthood? Well, so, uh, I mean, I, my understanding of sainthood is that you, in order to become a saint, after you've died, someone has to pray to you for a miracle, and a miracle has to happen. Yeah, it's got to be witnessed, I think, like, stamped and approved by the Catholic Church. Of like, yeah, this is a, a like a... This miracle was testified to. Sure, it happened. Sure. Um, so is that is that an explanation for for why the the CMA does not believe in sainthood? There's no uh, injunction in the Bible to pray to the dead. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. frowned upon. So why would you pray to the dead, even if it's a marvelous person like Mother Teresa, when you can pray to Jesus Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a, such a big come down, praying to a creature as opposed to the creator. Mm-hmm. And the, the Catholic theology and thinking is that these saints, these great people have accumulated like lots of good merit. Sure. And kind of in quotes, in God's eyes. And so they're able to then give that merit to the people that pray to them. So that's the, the theological line of thinking, which... And that God has this unlimited, Jesus has an unlimited amount of merit, which, to, which I ask, and it begs the question, why not just forgive everyone that yeah. asks? Why do you have to go through, mm. you know, a rigmarole with a priest and go to, and do all this kind of, these kind of hoops and jumps, mm. when if God has all this merit, why doesn't he just forgive people when they call upon him directly? Mm. 